Hello and welcome to another Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could be just maybe a little better. I am your host, Tony, and with me always is my co-host, cohort, co... Partner in crime? Partner in crime, yeah. Who are you? Matt, Magode. I'm here today to talk about this movie. What is this movie, Matt? We are discussing... All right, so a little back... Little backstory is uh, we were, I want I don't want to say accused. Accused seems like too strong of a word, but we were um, notified that we were doing a we had a tendency on this show, this podcast, towards a specific kind of genre, namely sci-fi and fantasy, and we were challenged, perhaps is the better way to put it, to do something of maybe a different genre and kind of step outside of our comfort zone a little bit. Um. To that note, we are doing a a Halloween film of sorts. We're doing The Wicker Man. We're doing the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man starring uh, Nicolas Cage. And it is, I, I don't know, I, don't, I thought before we watched this movie, it was a horror movie. But having seen it, I don't think I agree with that at all. So I remember this movie uh, back in my days at Blockbuster, which for some of you younger people, that's a place where you used to rent videos because you couldn't stream them online. Think if Redbox was a whole store. Right. (laughs) And I remember this movie confused a lot of people, um, especially when it first came out. They would come in, they'd be like, is it a horror movie? And then anybody who'd seen it, I hadn't seen at the time, would say... They, they wouldn't be able to give a direct answer. And then afterwards, the, when they come back after I've seen it, they couldn't tell you either. The, the cover box and the thumbnail, usually when you look for it, makes it look like a horror movie. For but sure. I would argue, and you could even say, like, maybe argue more in the suspense thriller type of horror, not your, you know, gore and mayhem sort of horror. But I would argue that this is neither of those. This is, in fact, a mystery movie. I, I was actually about to say the 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 genre subgenre that I think it most closely aligns with is definitely mystery, albeit a poor mystery, I think, but it definitely is trying to be a mystery. Uh, and it's it important. tries to have like an eerie feel to it, which is why some people might assume or, or take on the idea that it was trying to be a horror film. But I, yeah. it, nothing about this is going to scare you at any point. Well, I mean, there's a few like the the. No, never mind. Not even that. I was going to say there's a few like <laughs> kind of horror movies, but there's really not. Um, I think it's important to point out uh, that this is a remake of a film from the 70s, also called The Wicker Man, that it, uh, it starred. I don't remember who played the Nicolas Cage role, but one of the roles was Christopher Lee. And I think the general consensus, uh, neither of us have seen the original, right? I know you haven't either. No, I, I knew very little about this going in other that other than that most people couldn't really describe it to me. And then I looked at the like just the the financial stats for this. You cool if I read that off? Go for it, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it was an estimated budget of forty million. And opening weekend in the US was just over eleven million. The gross US was twenty three million, just over that. So it it did not do well. It it um it didn't even come close to budget, much less. Yeah, I think profit. even factoring like DVD sales and things like that, I'm not sure this film has at any point um, broken even. So, but it was requested we fix this. Somebody thought this movie was redeemable. Well, I won't name names on that, but that this was a requested film. 
And I think what we should go next into is the recap. Are you ready for the recap? Yeah, Matt. Um, so unfortunately, Jess Aducci, not unfortunately, actually, because we want to keep Jess Aducci giving us recaps on movies. But uh, this movie was really hard to get a hold of. We had to sign up for a seven-day free trial free trial with Cinemax just to have access to the rated version of this movie. There's an unrated version with four extra minutes. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Yep. Sorry, Mike. But <laughs> Jess Aducci, who normally or was going to start doing a lot of our recaps so they're not like The Last Jedi one, couldn't get a hold of this in time and we're like, just, just don't worry. So yeah, I think by that point you and I had both watched it and we were like, it's cool. Don't subject yourself to this. Yeah. I found a guy walking down my sidewalk and said, come in here, watch this movie. Um, now write me a synopsis. He wrote me this synopsis and Matt, I'm going to have you read what that guy wrote. (laughs) Okay. All right. Nicholas cage is your everyday nice police officer guy in a small area in California. And he is doing his job at the beginning of this film. We see a lovely little montage of him writing tickets, pulling over speeders, those sorts of things. But he clearly looks a little disenchanted with his job. He comes across a station wagon packed high full of stuff and a doll flies out the window. He's on a motorcycle at this point. He does a really cool swoop maneuver, leans over, picks up the doll and pulls over the car to return the doll to the daughter and her mother. The it's important to note he's a motorcycle cop, like Chips, but just the singular, Chip. Yeah, he's just Chip. Uh, The mother claims that they're moving and the daughter is acting like a little brat because she's been in the car forever. The uh, after agreeing to let them go, he steps away from the car to retrieve the doll again because the girl has thrown the the doll out again. Uh, And at that moment, it's kind of a fake out moment where you think he might get hit by a car. But no, no, no. A huge big rig smashes into the station wagon um kind of out of nowhere and nicholas cage tries to free the mother and daughter from the burning vehicle but an explosion knocks him back uh there's like a really weird moment where the little girl is like just sort of staring at him and then he gets knocked back uh we cut to two weeks later and nicholas cage i don't even think i don't care what his real his character name is in this movie he's nicholas cage uh, Nicholas Cage is at home in his sweats. He's on leave from work, seemingly still dealing with the death of the mother, mother and daughter. A friend from work, uh, possibly a partner, I don't know, another police officer, uh, she visits him to tell him that he's being awarded a commendation in the department for his efforts, and he could be looking at a promotion soon, which is exciting, but he's not that excited. He says he yeah. needs more time to cope with what's been going on, and during this time he gets a letter from somewhere uh and it's from an old girlfriend of his who claims that her daughter which he didn't know about is missing from this small island that they live on she includes a picture of the daughter who looks strikingly similar to the little girl he saw recently in the car crash by Um, strikingly similar you mean identical as in she was wearing the exact same clothes but i don't think they were actually identical I think she was just she just looked really similar and was wearing very similar clothes because then for the rest of the film, we keep seeing girls wearing kind of the same outfit that turn out to not be her. Okay. it I I don't know how important it is, but I I don't remember it being the exact same girl. I remember it looking a lot like her. It's a little cute blonde girl with pigtails and a red jacket on. What's more important to note is that while he's reading this letter and you're getting the voice over him reading this letter, at no point do you see him pick it up or open it. It just sort of dissolves to him reading a letter in the same apartment you've seen him in or house and 
I was very confused at this point, the origin of this letter, until the scene you're about to explain. This this explains my confusion away. Keep going. Right. Well, he ends up going back to the police department asking where it came from because there's no postage, there's no return address, there's nothing. It's just addressed to him. Because the, the police officer, the woman that showed up, brought his, like, fan mail. That's where the letter came from. Oh, I missed that. She was a cool character. Too bad she was a cool character that we, we do see later in the film, very briefly... In like a weird, not flashback, flashback. But yeah, that's where the letter came from. She was bringing Uh, in letters from like people that were thanking him for, I guess, not saving these people from. He did try. You you skimmed over, but like the car gets hit and then it's on fire, and then he Uh takes his bicycle helmet to like try and punch out the back of it because it's in a ditch. Yeah, he's like trying and just. I mean, never mind why this car is on fire and the way it's on fire. It's a movie. There's a, a quick flash of an explosion. He gets blasted back. Uh, like he put in some effort. Like he, for sure. he, he's he's a he's a good cop. Like he cares. He tries. I care now. You made me care. <laughs> so, anyways, Nicolas Cage decides that in his like weird funk that he's got to go to this island because he keeps having flashes of this girl who died. So, did you say what the the letter said though? That was that was part of. Did what we say what the letter? Well, yeah, we I, said that it's it's his girlfriend, his, his like old his actually his old fiance, I think. Yeah, who's saying like 12 that years ago. she's all upset because her daughter's gone missing and she can't turn to anyone else and needs his help. And she lives on this island. Yeah, he, uh, it doesn't she really describe... She gives him the name of the island in the letter. That's the only other Summers, bit of info Summer's Isle. Yeah, Summer's sure. Isle Island. I remember that because in the trivia, in the original movie, it was Summer Isle, but they changed it to Summer's Isle because they thought it would be easier for Americans to pronounce. That's sure. a thing. That's a total thing. So anyways, he goes to the island, but to get to this island, he has to bribe a seaplane pilot to drop him off uh, in secret because they don't allow visitors and it's a private commune. It's a private island, private township, like all of this. I think that's very important because it comes into play later. Um, once he arrives on this island, everyone seems sort of miffed at his presence, but also sort of like nonchalant about it. Like everybody's got like a snarky thing to say. Or, like, half answers. Everyone kind of speaks in riddles to him. And they're like, you really shouldn't be here. You don't belong here. But nobody, like, tries to make him leave. It's very strange. It's all very strange. Uh, the ex-girlfriend f- shows up and speaks to him and tells him not to believe anything that anyone says about the girl that's missing. Again, this girl being her daughter. Uh, what they do say is an awful lot of nothing. Uh, most of the people shun him. Others lie. And even the ex-girlfriend is unclear in her story. Nicholas Cage continues to have flashes of the girl dying and later learns that it's his daughter as well. Shocker. Right, so he eventually um, we're we're definitely skipping over a lot of things, but that's perfectly fine by me. Um Uh, He eventually finds enough clues that lead him to believe that the daughter is going to be part of some sort of pagan ritual sacrifice, and he takes the measures to find and save her, including like going literally like home to home, kicking in doors, yelling a lot. Uh, He does a lot of yelling in this movie. He he was there for a while. He starts to kind of lose it. For sure. Well, and everyone's giving him like the full runaround and like they're Mm -hmm. just flat out lying to him sometimes because then he finds evidence that the girl is real, even though everybody keeps saying like, oh, this girl doesn't even exist. It's all like a total mind fuck. And I totally get why he gets super upset. So anyways, on the day of the festival that is 
on the day the festival is believed to be when the sacrifice is going to take place, there's this big festival called like the Death and Rebirth Festival. Nicolas Cage steals a festival costume from someone and follows this huge procession into the woods. It's very like where the wild things are. He discovers the girl is <laughs> yeah, on is. a like pyre, like waiting to be burned to death. Yeah, there she is. Boom. And yeah. we're like we're like 15 minutes to the end of the movie and we've been looking for her for a good the hour and movie. a half and yeah. boom, there she is. So he quickly like reveals himself to her, sets her free, and they both run off into the woods. He thinks that they're going to get away. When the girl abandons him, she leaves, and he follows after her. She leads him into a different field, a different field from before, and it's full of the entire commune. How they manage to get there so quickly is uh, magic, I think, perhaps. Well, they, they, they they know the wilderness. They have like uh, like in D and D or rangers that know like the environment can move at twice their their movement speed. I like this this theory. They're all rangers. I'm into it. Uh, they quickly reveal that this entire thing has been a ploy to lead him here to the island of his own accord. They keep saying willingly. You're here willingly. You came because you wanted to. Blah blah blah. Uh, because he is in fact wait for it the actual sacrifice. Oh. Uh, he is pounced upon. They break his legs. We know this because he screams super loud. My legs, my legs, you broke my legs. I'm not making Apparently that, part that is actually shown in the uncut version. That's fine. It, there's a lot of him yelling here. But they wanted that. He's PG-13 like yelling rating, exposition. So it's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they take <laughs> really him is. up to the giant pyre made of wicker in the shape of a man. One wait, might wait, call is it that the wicker man. There you go. We found we've now arrived at the Wicker Man. Let's roll for perception. Oh, my God. <laughs> roll for initiative. I waited an hour and 50 minutes to figure out what the Wicker Man was because it was in no way mentioned or alluded to at any point, And I was so confused. And I, I was mean, just it's like, on the cover oh. box, I think, right? The I mean, but it's on fire. And then there's the creepy little girl on the front of the cover. So That's I true. didn't realize the Wicker Man was literally like a giant wood. Thing made yeah, he's a man made there. of wicker. It's like very yeah. Burning Man, but less cool it, and less drugs, probably. Yeah, it's gonna say such a great reveal. That so, I was anyways, so he's hoisted well. to the top of this, put into like a, a wicker cage. Uh, the wicker man is let on fire, lit on fire, let not let lit on fire, and mm. he dies. There's no, there's no easier way to say that. He just dies. He yeah. is a sacrifice. Is that the end of the movie? Uh, I think the other thing we didn't really, we kind of super glossed over is part of this whole story involved like crops and the goddess of the crops and things like that. And the whole like thing. It's a cult is, commune. Yeah. Like, I feel They're, like that's They just think implied. by sacrificing him, who's like loosely related to one of the members of this cult, then the crops will come back better. Well, the, the daughter is his. We do establish because it was 12 years from point to a, a to b the daughter he saves that then later lights the wicker man on fire to burn right him but that's why actually that's blood. why it was him because he was related yeah. to them that's why exactly. they had to kill him i don't what i i don't what i don't understand is because why they say so. they couldn't just jump on him the minute he got to the island and sacrifice him why they had to like they play. were waiting for the specific day uh, the, the truth <sighs> is, is they were leading they got him out there as soon as they could you know but he got there a bit early so they were just stalling him. So they were like, we're just going to fuck happened. with your head for a day and a half. Okay. Yeah, they, they were just, you know what? I'll buy it. So I'll buy leave. it. That, that makes more sense than anything else, to be honest. Um, cut to six months later. Some of the younger girls that we recognize from the commune are seen in a swanky bar, presumably in like L.A. or some other big city. Right. Uh, where they pick up two young fellas, one of which is James Franco, by the way. In a, one of his earlier roles, we're gonna name drop. Uh, drop who one of the swanky young ladies are from the commune. Oh, I don't know who. 
Evan Rachel Wood of the... No, that's not Evan the, Rachel Wood. Yes, it is. Nuh-uh. Yeah. Nuh-uh. The one blonde, that's Evan Rachel Wood. I'm literally looking at the, the, the thing right now. Evan Rachel Wood is not in this movie. What? It looks just like her. Absolutely not. You're... Um, this movie just went down a few points for me. I'm uh. so sorry. Evan Rachel Wood is most assuredly not in this movie. I would totally Who is remember. she then? She looks just like her. I think this you're thinking of, of Lily Sebesky, Sister Honey. No. Is that who oh, you're thinking of? Well, okay, so when did you first see Evan Rachel Wood? And for me, it was Glass House. I don't even remember. And I think you're still thinking of the wrong person. I think you're thinking of Lily Sebesky. Oh, man. Is it really? Yep, you're right. I got him confused. It's cool. It happens. So anyways, Lily Sebesky not Evan Rachel Wood. <laughs> She, I love this actress, by the way. I really like her. Yeah, Lila um, Sobieski's good. Why she's sort she of wasted on this movie, Thrones, like so many West people. But yeah. So, anyways, that's the the oh in oh to finish out what we were saying a second ago. It's very clear that they're starting the cycle over again. They're trying to seduce these young men to presumably impregnate them and keep this cycle going. Yeah, and then later, and twelve years later, lead them out to like. Well, because the other thing they hint they they really or reveal is that the two men are in police academy so again they're trying to look for people that might be i think part of it was is they knew nicholas cage was kind of like that nice guy that was mm-hmm. gonna like come out and and look for this and not just say f it because i i mean i don't know they that, that's about as clear as they i i, I can be because it's about as clear as they were about it but so, so they have a type and right and they, they have a definite type, type. So that's the that's the movie in a nutshell. Uh, Tone, anything before we get into the good, bad, and ugly? Is there anything about the movie you want to talk about, like maybe that didn't wasn't very clear to you? I mean, obviously, there's a lot unclear in this movie. Yeah. Okay. So so here's what I'll say, and and you tell me when you figured it out, because mm-hmm. I had about three. I had three working theories, uh, basically based. You know, and I always do that. Like I never just assume it's something. I remember like the guy who says it's this, and then if I get right, I'm lucky because it's a story. Things can change. Right. But I was like, okay, it's either there's something supernatural happening because one of the things that happens with Nicolas Cage is he keeps hallucinating this little girl at different points. Uh, sometimes like already dead and finding her that way, and it. And then when he snaps out of it, he almost, like, falls asleep because he's, like, exhausted all the time. He snaps out of it and then pops these pills uh, that he's been popping since the car wreck. We see him in his house popping them. And they never say what they are, what they're supposed to do. From what I can tell, they're the stop having freaky flashes of this little girl dying pills because they, like, stave it off for a while. But they're really unclear, like they are with everything. So I thought there's something supernatural happening. These hallucinations are more than just in his head. And that's this wicker man, whatever it's going to be, is going to be the supernatural force that's like why everything's so kooky. So that was like theory one. Theory two was this is actually playing out exactly as we expect. He suspects this girl's about to be part of like some sort of ritual sacrifice. And that's the real thing and yada, yada. But then there was a point in the movie where there's this crypt they talk about, but it's flooded. So, of course, they wait an hour to come back to it where he goes underwater and goes into the crypt. And it is the sweater the little girl's wearing in the picture and in all of his um, flashes and also that he confirmed that the mom had made for. And when he's physically holding it and he physically – because, of course, he gets locked in the cellar underwater and, you know, he has to wait forever for the – ex-girlfriend to come get him out and, and nothing happens it's as boring as i'm making it sound yeah it really he really still is. has he he still has the sweater 
and he still has the sweater. I'm like, oh, that's a that's the first physical, tangible thing to come from what is normally just like his hallucination. So I'm like, so the girl is real. The girl is there. And that's when I went, oh, he's the sacrifice. They're fucking with him. Like at that point, I knew what was happening. I was like, they're fucking with him. He's for part of my language, but he's the sacrifice. And and they're just stringing him along. So at that point, I was just kind of waiting for it to play out. And luckily, it had maybe 20 minutes left in the movie. But, but, uh, yeah, yeah. When did you, did you, I guess, catch on to what was happening and when did it happen for you? Um, I, I, I gotta admit, I was so just disenchanted the whole time and disinterested. I wasn't even really trying to figure it out. I, I was, I mean, I think you might be familiar with this experience. I was just kind of letting the movie happen to me at this point. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there were no cogs turning. I wasn't like, "Mm, I wonder what's really going on here. I was watching the movie. I was taking notes of all the times I was laughing unintentionally at the movie, but I just, I wasn't trying to figure anything out because nothing made any sense to me. Really. Everything in this movie felt like it because they were trying to fuck with him. They were inadvertently fucking with us, but it wasn't like in a fun, like we're in on the joke kind of way. Like it was telling like, a story kind of way. It was like if you were just there and yeah. Well, there's like the moment people. where the, the the school teacher, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, is the the lady from Dollhouse, the like leader from Dollhouse. I may be wrong about that, but anyways, there's the moment where the she TV says, show? yeah, from the Dollhouse TV show. Um, there's the moment oh. where she says something to him like in the past tense. And then he goes, what? And then she repeats it again in the future tense. Or maybe it's the other way around. Oh, but yeah, no, just like, I remember that. And I'm like, that was... what, what, why are we doing this? Like, clearly, I, I, it felt like the movie was trying to be clever. And it just felt like a mess of a movie. No, I, I think it was screwing with, you, with him mm-hmm. and therefore you. But you weren't... And then what like about that moment way. where, like, she, he, he leaves her at the schoolhouse... And then he runs into the group of people working on picking up branches or something. I don't know. And she's there in a completely different costume. And he's like, didn't I just talk to you? And she goes, no. What are you talking about? Okay. And but it's is clearly that her the or is same. That another twin sister? Because there are a lot of twins in this. I, I don't know is the is what I'm getting at. Like, there's a lot of those moments where it's like. Also, is it relevant to the story at all? The answer is no. Not really, but if you're going to introduce things like that, I feel like but, you need to close loops. And they, right, they, they set a lot they of loops they, up without closing any of them. And then when you look back, you're like, I don't even care what the answer is because it was unimportant. For sure. Yeah, I get you. Well, let's so, uh, let's yeah. move into what 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 the good. Like, what in this movie was good for you, if anything at all? So the first thing, and this was early on, um, so Nicolas Cage is a motorcycle cop, and he's got this really sweet um, jacket. It's like rough leather. You see it. It's very crisp. looks very heavy. I was just, dang, I like that jacket. But moving a little bit beyond that, and I think the re- part of the reason I like that jacket, and just I kind of kept watching the movie in general, was because there was a lot of on-location shooting outdoors and things, and it was the the quality of the the cinematography I thought was maybe not the cinematography, but the sets, like the actual like clarity, especially for a 2006 movie was very crisp. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty, that's outdoors. That looks nice. Or when it was indoors, well, that's like some serious neon lights right there. That's how horrible life looks when you're in a building like that without windows. It's, it, it was just very clear, very crisp, which 
I don't even know if that helps the movie, seeing how everything about it was unclear. But the visualness of it was very clear and very crisp and very pretty in a lot of cases. And that's all the good I found. In I can movie. totally agree with you. I remember appreciating, um, remember when he goes to the doctor's house, the Francis Conroy character? Yes. Like, I loved that set decoration. Her whole house was really neat. It looked like something I'd want to walk through when I was trying to go ride a cool ride at Universal Studios. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they really decorate those rooms really nicely. That's And I think that's what might have, like, frustrate people with the movie is there was effort put into making of this film. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't, like, a B-budget, you know, slap-together kind of thing. Real effort was made. People were standing outside on location sweating to, like, get these shots, and you could see it. So, like, you saw the work that went into creating this, the production, but there's nothing there. <laughs> it's yeah. Like they they worked on nothing. They might as well, It's like they, they could have just walked you through the sets and filmed that, and that was the effect of what you were getting. I agree. I think I think the, the big, biggest thing going for this movie is a production quality that I think other movies would be envious of that also have better stories to tell. Um, well, with that, let's let's talk about the bad. I mean, obviously there's a lot, but what do we want to like focus on? Um, I, yeah, and again, I, I, I'm going to keep this broad because I don't see any reason to like delve deep into each individual thing that was bad because... I say from the beginning of the movie. Okay, so one of the things I should say that was that was good is the first fifteen minutes of the movie does a great job setting up Nicolas Cage's character. It starts like outside a diner on a you know nowhere road. Inside, there's your basic diner patrons. He's like at a spindle of books that are all like self help books, kind of looking at him, but not buying one. You know, when you get the montage of him as a police officer doing his job, you know, you kind of get a sense, okay, he's not a jerk, but he's, you know, he's, he abides the law and he's firm. And I just felt like we really got like this kind of world that he lives in and this character that he is. And then we just leave all of that. So I feel like they did this great, I even made a note of it, they did this great 15 minutes of just like setting him up and setting things up by showing, not telling and I was like, all right, well, this is this is telling me something. What's going to happen? And even even when he pulls over the the it's not Studebaker, the station wagon and and he's like, you know, he's doing his job there. I'm like, OK, we've got an idea for who this character is. And then they just abandon all of that. Like it, the scene might as well not have happened or that those that first 15 minutes, I should say. And that's kind of what frustrates me, because besides Nicolas Cage, who I thought did a fine job in this. Most of the acting was, I, it was just, it was phoned in. I feel like, it, I'm not even going to say the actors were bad, but I don't think they knew what they were, like, what their motivation or what their emotions were. So they yeah. were just reading the lines in the most generic way. So whatever the tone of the scene was, they weren't going off tone because they didn't have one. Yeah, I think they lacked direction. I think they lacked, like, a communication with the director who's... Who, you know, we talk a lot about who's at fault at th- with things. And I think the director is usually where the buck stops as far as keeping a cohesive, like, vision together. And if you're not communicating that to your actors, then it doesn't matter how good they're. Because, I mean, this movie has a good cast of actors that we've seen in other projects do really well. So I don't, it's hard to blame them for bad acting when I don't know that they were communicated what 
the tone was supposed to be. It know? really screams lack of direction, lack yeah. of whether it was in the writing or in in the actual director. There just seemed to be a lack of understanding about who they were and what their role is in that. And that that sort of plays into my other complaint, and I've only got a couple here left, but there's just a complete lack of information given to you at any time. Mm-hmm. So everything is ambiguous, but it's ambiguous to the point where it's nothing, nothing, none of his investigating. Like we skipped probably 40 plus, maybe an hour's worth of this movie, over an hour's worth of this movie. What am I saying? we just sort of glossed over it because his whole figuring out what's going on is completely irrelevant because he doesn't even get misled. He just, I don't know how to describe it. Like they just, they're so cryptic when they talk to him. They're so, it's not even misdirection. They're just so useless and unhelpful. And I mean, he even loses it a few times. I would lose it a few times at these people and they just sort of take it because they know he really has no power over them. Yeah, he's got a gun, but... You know, he's not the kind of guy to just start blowing people's heads off because they're not answering questions. But mm-hmm. it's just we the very little information we get like, oh, it is your daughter was just like, duh, and took forever. And all the bits they say like, oh, well, she's actually already died and she's buried here and then he digs her. It, it's, but then she's not. It, it, it's so it takes so long to get to that. Like he's there for days, like a few days, like two or three and I feel like he, this whole investigation, like all of the information he actually garners could have happened in less than a day. Mm-hmm. But they just drag it out. And, and it's mostly due to the fact, and I, I blame the dialogue of the movie. Like it's one of the other things I hate. It's probably the last thing I'll mention here. But it's not even just the dialogue. It's, it's what, how the dialogue spins him in circles or has him spinning his wheels. It's not even like good. It's just, it's nonsense. I mean, they're right. crazy it's cult people talking nonsense. For the sake of being enigmatic. It's, right. not, it's not clever. It's just nonsensical at times. And <clears throat> it's painful to watch. There's no ease into it. It'd be, it'd be more interesting, I think, if people seemed fairly normal and together and helpful <clears throat> when he first arrived. But slowly, more and more, they were less helpful, less, you know, you know, coherent in their responses and it kind of mimicked his sort of dissension into madness but no he just kind of shows up and everybody talks in riddles and like talking in riddles is actually kind of being generous they're not even really riddles they're just nonsense yeah i mean that backwards talk of the one person talking in past tense and then talking in present tense like that was the most direct they ever get and it was the most overt and that just made me groan like oh god like is this how we're going to do this? Yeah. Well, it sounds like this is an, uh, another movie where the script is probably the, the biggest culprit, both in the actual dialogue and just the direction the story takes and how things are revealed. Um, I, it sounds like we both kind of agree on that, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, cause even with the acting, it sounds like had, had these actors had something better to work with, the acting wouldn't have felt quite as atrocious as it did. So with that said, you want to talk about some possible fixes? Oh my God, yes. I, I have a few elements I would really like to to just add to this. Uh, you want me to go first or do you want to do it? I feel like I've been taking the stay, center stage on this. No, I think you're doing well. My, I have a pretty, pretty... St- 
I don't know, I, what I would argue a sort of simple fix that wouldn't make it like a masterpiece by any means, but would just make it a more tolerable movie. But I, I am I'm very curious to see what your fixes are. So why don't you go ahead and lead us? So I think one of the, and I, mean, I guess I didn't say this, but mostly because I don't want to hate on Nick Cage, but I think one of the problems this movie has is that the protagonist, if he can be called that, is unremarkable. And what I want to do is I want to put a protagonist in his place, or is still played by Nick Cage, who is who ha- is is remarkable, is good at something. Um, I've been wa- I've been rewatching back through the show Sherlock, uh, which you can find on Netflix, really good. But one of the things I thought was funny is you know I, I watch this movie and then I watch an episode of Sherlock where he's in his apartment and people are coming to him with cases and he's just solving it right there because he doesn't need any more. And I feel like. If Sherlock Holmes were, were to, like, hear Nick Cage talk about this letter and all that, he'd be like, oh, no, it's a crazy cult. They're going to sacrifice you in a burning wicker man. And Nick Cage would be staring like, really? And he's like, I don't know. Go find out. Like, that's, that's, that's sort of like my, my, I guess, you know, fanfic version of this movie. But what I really mean is that I want a character that is deductively cap- capable. This is a mystery. He needs to be better than they expected, better than what they were looking at, better than what they were anticipating. He's just an everyday guy. He's not bad by any means. But the reason he doesn't put up a fight and just is basically being led around by the nose this whole time to get burned into Wickerman and gets burned is because there's literally nothing remarkable. Um, My wife Chrissy had this great idea. Uh, She was thinking of a, a similar character but had something remarkable about them. Do you remember Heroes, the TV show? Yeah. Um, Matt Parker, he was the police officer in that, finds out he has, that's the character's name, finds out he has, like, the ability to read minds. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of your everyday nice police officer, you know, trying to do good. But then he gets this extra, like, bit and this extra, like, thing that makes him remarkable. So she's like, what if it's not, like, a supernatural element that makes him remarkable, not just he's really skilled? But either one would be interesting to me. I mean, especially because this is supposed to have a bit of a horror feel to it. The introduction of the supernatural, even if vague, would be would benefit. I mean, because, you know, horror and all this sort of stuff, you can have just your basic serial killer and that works. But also having a bit of the un, the mysterious, especially in a mystery, is always good. So I want a protagonist who is more than what this crazy cultist commune expected. And so he kind of challenges them. And even if the fate somehow ends up the same, I, I still don't care for that. It doesn't, it's not so easily won. So there's, there's somebody to root for, somebody interesting to follow this whole time, who's, who's even, getting, while they're being cryptic, he's still putting it together and it's actually frustrating the hell out of them. So it's sort of a race. Like, can they keep him in the dark long enough to get him you know, to the time of sacrifice versus does he figure it out and try and get the hell out? Like, the other the other twist we had on it is what if at the end he's figured it out or he's figured out enough that he knew that they were going to be coming after him. So when they chase him at the end, like, he runs into the woods and he ends up becoming the the horror factor because now he's set up, like, like predator-style, like, booby traps and, you know, bear pit kind of things. And he's, like, killing off all of these, you know... Quaker looking, you know, commune cultist people in like bloody gory ways. So you get your blood gore fix. And now they're trying to figure out what he's going to do to them. Like that's the real twist is, oh, he was a sacrifice, but oh no, he figured it out. 
And now you've got to see what, like, from their perspective, because they're just useless, these characters. They're mm-hmm. all just blah. So that would be so much more fun. I mean, we don't have to go that far, but I was just, I was just rolling with it. Like, what would, what would wake me up, <laughs> you yeah. know, watching this movie so I could have this trance I'm in? But I really, aside from that, I, I, I was going to say, I really la- like your third act a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it would, especially since, you know, we, we kind of went into this with, like, a horror movie feel like he maybe he loses it maybe he's not like you know again forget Sherlock Holmes maybe he loses his gourd somewhere out here and he goes too crazy he goes the other way whatever gods they worship because it's sort of alluded that they're they're witches it doesn't say that but it talks about how they came from England and saw what was happening in Salem yeah and they you know went further west and trekked and whatever and then they found this island and that's where they've been staying and you know they've got like a very like kind of old-timey, like, community, not really modern. I mean, they're aware of things, but, you know... And, and I guess one of the things we didn't mention, and it's not important, is that this is a matriarchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are men. I, none of them speak on the island. I actually thought at one point they were going to reveal that their tongues were cut out because they I never thought, speak, and I thought... I think How? they alluded to it at one point when he's in the pub. Maybe they he, cut that. He asks a guy a question... And he mm-hmm. kind of mumbled a response. So I thought mm-hmm. they were, without right. overtly showing it, saying that that's what it was. Because I totally got that same read as well, that all okay, these so, men so had maybe that was cut, a thing that got cut, cut, cut. But yeah. the, big, the big twist for the movie was, is, oh, look, Nicolas Cage is the sacrifice. And, oh, look, he was, you know, all of these women orchestrated it. Look how dangerous they are. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. I have, that's not a shock for me. Mm-hmm. Women can be... As crazy and as deadly as any man. Hands down, not even a thing. They can scare the shit out of me as much, if not more, than any man. Period. So the fact that you're revealing that they just did this thing in a not scary way and whatever. like It's just, you got to give me more than that. You're not blowing my mind here, Chief. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I didn't think that the it's women unimportant. thing was as, They could be as, dudes like, and they're still home. crazy people. They're well, still and then the crazy original, people sacrificing. That, that's something yeah. manufactured for this version. That's definitely not how the original version was. I know that much. But it doesn't matter. Women or men, they're still crazy people killing people for crop, you know, for a better crop harvest. I, I don't care your gender at that part, at point. I care about how psycho you are. The gender comes like we'll talk about the other bit later. It's it's just it's not as like big of a mind freak as I think they wanted it to be. So let's have some mind freak in there and let's maybe develop. And that could have been done if we developed a little bit more about who they were and where they came from. Besides mm-hmm. just the big blob of exposition they give you at the end when they reveal he's the sacrifice, because you really do get just like a big touting like exposition like and they're all like smug like they got him and it's almost like smug like it's telling the audience like oh we got you and it's like got me on what you you didn't do anything and just the arrogance of like the the characters kind of coming at it and like explaining it like oh you would have never thought of this it's like well maybe if there were any context clues right or anything and actually i'm going to go ahead and take that moment because that's a great segue into what i want to talk about i don't i a lot of movies try to give you big reveals that they didn't let the audience in on from the beginning. And it, I think it does work sometimes, but I think more often than not, it fails because you feel like you've been cheated as an audience. You don't feel like you were in on what was happening. So it doesn't feel satisfying because like you said, that you weren't given like little clues and things to kind of suggest it throughout the, 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 the film. What 
I would like to see with this movie as my as my fix. And I was lacking an ending, so I want to say thank you first of all because you gave me the <laughs> you you gave me the ending that I needed, and that's why we write together and it works out really nice. What I would like to see happen is once he gets to the island, it's no secret to the audience that he's the the, the intended victim. And what we're seeing for like the second act of the film is him investigating what he thinks is all about this girl and getting closer and closer to where we we as an audience are kind of rooting for him like, oh, you're so close. You've almost figured it out. You've almost figured it out. You've almost figured it out. So at this point, like we're we more want on, him to survive. These people are assholes. Ex exactly. So we're more on his side at this point because we're in on what's going on. We know what's happening and he doesn't. So we're cheering for him. We're rooting for him. And then what I'd like to see is when it comes to the big reveal, not only has he figured it out at this point and we're like excited for him to have figured it out. But like you said, then he, he at this point has full on gone into madness. I think that's mm. another thing. This movie is definitely lacking. And I like that you, you identified it. He's kind of slowly going crazy on this Island, but they never really go all the way. And I, I think it would be awesome if the end of this is him having fully gone mad at this point and realized, you know, that he's been, you know, played this whole time that he loses it and he retaliates. And you're right. He becomes the like bordering on supernatural element. And like, he becomes, I don't know, the, the wicker. And that would be, or that would be such a better like reveal that the audience doesn't see. Cause you talk about, you can sometimes do a reveal. That, so we know he's doing stuff. We know he's investigating, but what we never know though, we know he's the sacrifice. But we don't know is that at some point he starts to figure it out. Yeah. And he's been preparing for it and he's keeping it secrets from even us, the audience. So when he starts retality on these people in like crazy ways, like, and they keep saying because he's you special. Want, you like, aren't mad as an becomes, audience when you find he... out the one you've been rooting for has these little surprises for you. Like right. You're not mad as an audience member when that happens. You're like, ah, oh, good. I was already rooting for you. But now I'm just like so on board with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's his remarkableness. He's, he's seemingly unremarkable for the film and you're just rooting for him to figure it out. And then at the end, that last act, he figures it out and he lays down the pain mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. And they're just freaking out being, you know, and, and there is the question of that mystical force because he was the selected whatever sacrifice bullshit, bullshit, who cares? But, you know, like what if that then it matters? Because what if there is something about him and they weren't prepared and, because we don't know what their cult worships or actually thinks or what any of it means. It's well, they, they just they talk so a little bit about it. The the Su Summer's Isle is the goddess of the island who blesses the crops, and that's who they worship. Sure. And they talk about how every year they have a festival, and there's always like the queen of the festival, which is usually a young girl. And it just so happens that the the you know last year's crops, the queen of the festival that year was his daughter, and the crops all spoiled that year, so they blame her, and she's supposed to be the sack. I mean, it's all a misdirection. Did they so like, say that? Oh, for sure, they definitely do. But again, it, it's all moot and doesn't matter because it turns out to all be a misdirect in the end. So anything they were giving you didn't wasn't satisfying it didn't matter that's yeah okay or, or was that still the case and that's why they had to bring her dad in to like be the sacrifice or was well, no they said that was the setup see it's just dumb and it needs yeah. it needs it and it's needs fine listen substance. it can all be dumb it can all be dumb if that's mm. not like what your big reveal is true if that's true. the if that's the misdirect and that's the 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 thing that's distracting you this whole time and then there's a bigger better reveal 
then that's totally fine. You can get away with a, a shitty explanation for things. But you can't in this because that's the thing that's supposed to be leaving you satisfied and you're not. Yeah, no, not at all. And then again, I, I he just dies. Very... He he burnt not only does he die, but it's like bordering on comical the way he's just like screaming and I mean part of this is a technical thing. Like he's screaming in a way that sounds like he's right next to a microphone, like we are right now. But mm. the shot is from like all the way across the like field and it, it, it reads as more humorous, I think, than they intended for it. Was to. that what made you laugh? So that's one of the things people keep talking about is or one of the things I keep saying is this has sort of got a cult following because people think it was unintentionally funny. But I never laughed. Not like it was too sad or whatever, but I just mean like it, nothing about it was funny, even in an ironic way. Yeah, I, I, I had a different experience. I there were more than a few lines, speci specifically lines that Nicolas Cage has where he was just really over the top. And it it read it read humorous to me. Like, I remember laughing. Mm -hmm. It's weird because he's also so serious at the beginning of the movie. But then he does like goofy things like when he walks up to the seaplane captain and he goes, ahoy there. And it's like to me, it struggled yeah. for tone. It struggled yeah. for like, what are you going trying to for give him personality here? or yeah, exactly. No, was, but then in like the next scene, he's kind of a tool bag because he goes into the little like um, the pub, the, pu the, the public house, right yeah. on private property. And he just starts smashing stuff around. He just got there, right? He has no real reason yet yeah, to be a dick. He, he, he and then he like smashes the bee because I, I don't, allergic. I don't. Well, and they don't really establish that until a little no, bit later. He says it right afterwards when she asks him, why did you go kill a bee like that? He's like, because I'm allergic. I did not catch that at all. I'm so know, glad you totally said that. Because one of my like, big wow, gripes in the movie was, the was, did they establish that he was allergic to bees? Because totally they make says such it a big out loud right there. Because, yeah, there's a bee flying around and they make. So, so audience, one of the things is, is this place is really well known for its mead, which is fermented honey. Yeah. And she pours him a cup and he's got the mug of mead and a bee's flying around. And he just goes, bam. And they all just look at him because, you know, cult people, right? You just assume if that's where their prime resource, you don't go killing the creature that makes it. Right. And the woman's well, like, why'd you go do a thing like that? And he goes, uh, blah blah blah. I'm also I'm allergic, and then just walks up to his room in the tavern, and I was just like, okay, that was a bit extreme, but you know, whatever. <laughs> well, but then and the the, again, so it, it, this continues in the next scene. He goes to the schoolhouse to talk to the teacher, and again, this is the beginning of the scene. He she hasn't really been fucking with him yet. He just yeah. comes in. He shows the badge to all the kids, and it's real weird. He's like grinning really big, and he's like, "This is my badge, kids. How cool is this?" He then goes and erases the chalkboard, which I was like, "Really? Why are you being this much of a dick? Like, why are you erasing the chalkboard?" It's like, it's like he suddenly changed a bad cop. Yeah, it was so weird. He erases the chalkboard, writes his name on the board. Which, again, I don't remember what his name is. But he writes his name on the board, <laughs> and I'm like, Cage. why are you being such Nicholas an Cage. asshole? And then, <laughs> he wrote the girl's name on the chalkboard, to be fair. Did he? I thought the he missing, wrote his name on No, the he board. wrote the missing girl's name. Because for the longest time, I confused his name with the missing girl's name. Her name was Rowan yeah, Willow. Will, was and it Willow was his... Rowan Willow, yeah. Because, you know, his ex-girlfriend was very flighty. And, sure. And they're all but named then, after so plants. So in this scene... On the commune. He, he figures out that they're lying and that her desk is obviously in the room. And he just starts screaming, liar, liar. And you're the biggest liar of them all. And it was, it was again, it was comical to me because it was just like 
he's down here and then he's up here and then he's down here and then he's up here. And then at some point he said something about arresting people. And I just kept thinking, you're like a California highway patrol cop in Washington. And they call him going, out on that. Who are you yeah. going to arrest? You can't, you have no jurisdiction. I thought, and, I thought he was faking. Like he was hoping he was like scaring the yokels. Kind I of like guess, bluffing. but like he's on private property to begin with. So he yeah. already doesn't have like a warrant to be there or anything. Or back up. No, he's trespassing. I remember technically. Yeah, and I remember when he gets dropped off by the seaplane. He and he's like wading through the water with his like suitcase or whatever. I'm like, what's your plan here, buddy? How are you getting back? Yeah, right. What is there? Your, he's very unremarkable. No plan. There's so many horrible. things in this movie that I'm just like. What, we're breaking it down we now. Thinking? We don't need to break it down. Everything we're saying is reinforcing everything we already. No, said. you're totally right. I just all my my point is I is reinforcing your point really we he, we needed a moment where he turns it around where this seemingly like unremarkable cop with a good heart which again debatable because he acts like a tool, <laughs> right. he acts like Who a bad <laughs> half the movie but like where we realize that he's he's had the wheels turning a little more than we realized and like that's the reveal that's mm -hmm. the surprise well that's what i was hoping for because that's that was like the one big mystery is what is he actually planning on doing? Because yeah, this doesn't seem like he thought this out very far. Yeah. At the it, bare minimum, how was he planning on getting back off the Island? That's the, I'm going like, to shoot everybody with his 15 bullets in his gun, you know, <laughs> which at some point someone took the bullets out of his gun. And when did that happen? Exactly. They were really good about him always keeping the gun with him and checking the gun and checking the gun. And then when he finally goes to use it, they've gotten the bullets. And I was actually kind of wondering when that could have happened. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I mean, I know you pay attention to like gunshots and bullets counts a lot more than I do, but even I, you know, a layman in this sort of thing was just like, really went when? Cause she opens. And also I'm thinking, cause she opens her palm and the bullets all fall to the ground, right? Real dramatic. Like, and I'm like, mm -hmm. have you been holding those the whole time just for this dramatic moment? Oh, totally. She's, <laughs> she's flighty and, and what the whims of Ugh. fancy. They just keep saying that about her all the time. The, the ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Oh my golly. This movie's terrible. But, That's fine. but, but I think it's... we've, we've come up with a, with a good C plus fix. Yeah, because because the commune in itself is weird and creepy and very unlikable. Like they set that up, and the mm -hmm. sets and the scenes, you know, show promise. You just you need something to happen. Like, you need well, and you need a character. Even if to he root ran off him. at the end, even and you if don't he really runs where he was, and he runs off at the end, and he gets away from him, and then he just starts going ape shit and like killing people and whatever, and just like taking them down. And now he's a threat. And now everything they thought was so simple is falling apart on them. At least then you're not just being led by the nose for the whole story, which as you said, most of which was irrelevant because it was all a misdirect. It's mm -hmm. that's not how you tell a story. I'm sorry. That's not how you, it's good to have misdirects. It's good to have twists. You don't have to have hints to everything, but you have to make it worth the audience investing in. And there was nothing to invest in because literally nothing happened. I mean, like, just nothing. It was just empty calories of, of scenes and dialogues that went nowhere and led to nothing until you finally get to this end. And, and again, once I saw the sweater, I was like, he's the sacrifice. This girlfriend is... Because girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend pulls him out of the crypt that he got shut into. And mm -hmm. she's just being as uselessly cryptic in her speech. And I'm like... Okay, the girl's real, which means he's the sacrifice. And see, he, that moment could have still been in the movie because that could have mm -hmm. been the moment he realizes that right. he's the intended victim. And then as the viewer, you can be excited like, oh, my God, he's finally putting it together. He has a chance now. 
and mm-hmm. then the viewer then has Even like if he doesn't hope make it in the end at least give him a fighting chance totally agree Ugh. all right well there's our fix for uh wicker man wicker i'm pretty man. happy with it i think it would yeah. definitely be a more watchable movie for sure I, I would i would keep the cast i like nick cage i mean yeah. i'm not saying everything he's done is great but i you know i mean i'm i'm old school i loved him in uh moonstruck so i've been, I've been oh a fan. for sure Conner. i always think about him yeah. in adaptation which he was adaptation is, was i think really is good. arguably one of his i mean it's the one he won the oscar for like it's one of yeah. his best roles but you're right he He's definitely done some good work. On a quick sidebar, I did look up because I was curious, like, what happened to Nicolas Cage. And without going into too much detail, the gist of it is he made a lot of money in a very short period of time and then spent more than he even made and ended up with a lot of debt, some of which was to the IRS. So we talk sometimes about cash grab movies like Mm -hmm. uh, he's just doing that for a paycheck. What was in fact happening was he was taking a bunch of projects for the paycheck because he was in debt. I don't think Wicker Man was one of them, though. Uh, or if it was... It, so was at the, I, it was at the very beginning of this happening. I don't... I mean, he was really invested in this movie, I think, mm-hmm. financially and, you know, metaphorically. But I think he cared about it. I yeah. think he did, too. But this was at the beginning... Because around... T- this came out in 2006. 2007 was when he was starting to have a lot of, like, debt issues. So, so. if we, we fix this movie, what we do is it's a $40 million budget. We make it for $20 million and give 10 to Nick Cage... We keep, we keep, we, it's still a $40 million budget, but at least 10 of it goes to Nick Cage just to pay off all his debts. So he doesn't have to keep making movies like this afterwards. Cause I really like him. As soon he as I get a, the, as soon as I get the Wayback machine working, we'll, we'll get it. Mm-hmm. We'll take care of it. He did a, he did a, it was one of those YouTube channels, like, but they're also a magazine that had him like basically go back and speak on all of his major roles. And he went, he did, he did not cover Wicker Man at all. I find that sad now that I've seen it, but yeah, he just, he, he did all of his iconic roles and talked about them each for like, like a minute and a half. And it was a fun little video cause he's got something else coming out that he's really happy about and he seems excited. But the way he describes his characters, it sounds like his character in this at the end when he's just lost it. So maybe hmm. when I see, I, I should look up what that movie is, but maybe when I see it, I'll just be like, you're actually that guy from Wicker Man, only you finally lost it. And this is why you're going to be crazy person, whatever this is. Nice. Well, um, let's let's move our way towards the end here. You want to talk? Uh, you want to give us a movie recommendation for our listeners, or a TV uh, not show, a movie or recommendation? A book or a we, video yeah, game? I would like to. So, um, I'm a casual comic book reader, and I try to find things. You've got your DC and your Marvel, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, I read a little bit in each of those. But something that I've been reading a lot of and I would really like to see made into either a series or a series of movies is the James Bond comic book uh, run. And it's produced or published by Dynamite Comics, I believe. And what I like about it is you don't have to start at issue one. You just have to start at issue one of what is normally a five to six part story. So just like the movies, there's there's like a title. It's like James Bond 007 and then X. And it's whatever storyline he's going through. And it usually runs for five to six issues. And then it goes to the next one. And they're not really necessarily tied together. The current one is actually doing his training, like his coming up from school to his special ops training and all that sort of stuff. And it's really good. But they're all really good. They feel, they feel like... 
the James Bond movies of old, they seem to capture, like, his grittiness. Like, he's rough. Like, you don't have to worry about him being just super smooth in a tux if you didn't like those bits. Uh, there was one line, It was the title was James Bond, it was called Body, just B-O-D-Y, and in the third one, he's in a sauna in the middle of somewhere in Eastern Europe, and he's talking to just a bunch of just horrible white supremacists, like he's undercover, and by the end of the issue, spoiler alert, he murders the shit out of all of them, and in fact, <laughs> violently so, and it's, it's a short read, because it's mostly visual, that one, and, but I was just like okay that was cathartic like some some deep part of me needed james bond to come in and just like blow the fool out of a bunch of just neo-nazi white supremacists in eastern europe that was that was awesome and that and they're all great some of them end up in water bases some of them end up in you know you know asian you know countries and on boats and planes and trains and everything's like the movie but but they're succinct enough that i feel like they capture the spirit of james bond so dynamite comics james bond uh, go to your local comic book shop if they don't have them i promise you you can talk to the owner ask them to start picking them up they'll start carrying them for you comic book shops want to want to provide for you and uh yeah give it a shot i think it's great nice um well in that vein i'm gonna actually do a comic recommendation as well because uh there's a comic book series called the umbrella academy that uh has been being it's been published for about a decade now but it's real like on and off like they'll do a series and then take some real time off and then they'll come back i think there's been three series total and then a fourth one just started um i can't remember who who wrote it it's it's the the lead singer of some band who is semi (laughs) but but anyways they're really good it's this the the story is about a team a family really i believe they're all clones it's been a while since i've read the original but they're all basically superheroes that are also a team that, and it's all very unconventional. It's not your, your standard Batman, Spider-Man sort of stuff. Uh, the art is really mind blowingly good. Uh, it's just really, it, it's one of those few series that when I see it on the shelf, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't wait to read the next one. It's so good. And uh, I believe Netflix has a live action series coming uh, in spring. So I think it's worth checking out. It's called the Umbrella Academy. They're pretty easy reads, and I like. I think I told you the uh, they're in trade form now, so you don't have to hunt down all the individual issues. You can just pick up the individual I, story arcs. I love trade paperbacks. Trade paperbacks audience is the way to go. It's uh, it's it's not gonna you're not gonna keep it in a little sheet, and it's gonna be worth money later. But no comic is anymore. It's sure. it's like five or six issues of a comic series, or like one story of a comic series, and one like paperback graphic novel kind of style thing and they're obviously not as thick as some of your graphic novels it's a great way to ingest comics uh, a little bit more affordable you can get like five like an issue of a comic is anywhere from like three to four maybe five bucks now you can get one of those for like 15 to 20 dollars and it's got like multiple issues in it so you're you're getting your money's worth uh and i, I just realized the added for... bonus of trades is that they typically have far 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 fewer like advertisements in them yeah fewer advertisement pages yeah it's it's the way to go when you just want to read the story. I mean, you can also, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these publishing companies have uh, online apps, and and that's a good investment if you've got a good tablet. And mm-hmm. most of them, I know I did the Marvel app for a while, but it was like back in the day when they were just making it. It was just painful. It wouldn't load. It wouldn't turn pages right. Now I've, I've used it since, and I'm just like, oh, shoot. Like, I've gone back and read, like, eons of old spider-man like years and years of like from the 60s spider-man up through up to like the 80s 
and stuff like that just because I can just keep flipping the pages and it's funny you talk about like comics being like you know like your typical Spider-Man or ba- uh, Batman I just picked up a comic haven't read it yet but it's an annual you know like the once a year thing and it takes place it's Spider-Man back when he had the black symbiote costume but it's oh, from nice. the point of view of the symbiote so the Venom symbiote when it first met and spent all its time with Spider-Man and it's just kind of like its point of view on everything that was happening because it never spoke to him it didn't yeah. start talking until Eddie Brock. So, That's wild. So when, yeah. uh, what's that called? I wouldn't mind checking that out myself. Uh, it's just an amazing Spider-Man annual number one for this year. Uh, you, you can, you can, it just came out. Nice. I'll have to check that out. I'm really excited. There's a comic coming out soon. That's on my pull at the comic shop. Uh, it's the alien three unproduced screenplay. So oh, wow. the original, what was intended to be the third alien film, uh, they the, made a comic book of it. There's a comic book coming out and it starts, I think later this month, I've already got my shop pulling it for me, but I'm really stoked about that one. I like that franchise it's not, a lot. It's not a stretch for us as movie guys, movie fixers and fellow movie fixers, uh, the light comics, because it's basically the, the panel by panel of what the movie would be in our heads. Oh, for sure. It's, I mean, it's storyboarding is really what it is. I mean, you can really see that the most obvious, I think, if you watch the Watchmen movie. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. Well, because Zack Snyder, love him or hate him, he mm-hmm. he pulled a lot like frame for frame from that original comic book. And I think you realize more than ever that except comic books. Except for the books, hover bikes. <laughs> except for the hover bikes. But yeah, you realize more than ever that comic books are really just screen or, you know, uh, storyboards that could mm-hmm. so easily transition into a full length or a short film. We think it could be easy. We've seen it done so poorly. It's so true. Times. You're right. I say easily. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's like the interim between a novel and a movie, you know, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But before we become a comic book podcast, maybe we should uh, give some, some credits, Matt. All right. Do we want to talk about our next movie first though? Oh, Oh yeah. I've actually already watched this, but I need to watch it again. Cause it's been a couple weeks. I saw it on the cruise. Oh, nice. That you and I both went on. So do you want me to talk about it or do you want to tell everybody? No, no, no talk about it. I'm, I'm excited for this one. Okay, so I want to preface this one with saying I the few people that I've already told were doing this movie immediate re, immediately react with, what? Like how how could you possibly be doing that movie? It is really? a yeah, oh yeah. I get I've gotten that from a few people. And and the reason is it's a recent um beloved film by quite a few people. And I think a lot of people that haven't really listened to our podcast don't understand that the premise of this podcast isn't to take terrible movies that are just unsalvageable and, you know, turn them into something great. But instead, I think what we'd like to do more often is take movies that were pretty good and had a lot of good things going for them, but fix the things that didn't work in the movie. Right, because they fell short. I mean, exactly. And, and, and this is a movie where I think 75% of it was probably on point. Yeah. But it definitely fell apart. And if you, if you care enough to look at it and really pay attention and get away from the, you know, really great music for just a second, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's really dumb. Yeah, I totally agree. And I remember, I think when we both saw this movie the first time feeling like, ah, I would just fix this and I would fix this. And I would, this is way before we were, you know, the movie fixers. This was, I think one of the, we were always the movie fixers. Right, right, right. You, you missed my air quotes. Oh. So in that, in that vein, the movie we'll be doing next and I'm very excited about doing is Disney's Frozen. 
Now, again, before everyone freaks out and say there's nothing wrong with that movie, I challenge you to hear us out because there's a few things in that movie that we both agree could be better and could have taken it from a pretty good movie, to be honest, into a really, really great movie. So. I'm surprised. I, movie fixers, chime in. Do you think we're fixing something that ain't broke? Because I feel like most of the people I talk to, while maybe like parts of that movie, acknowledge that it's, it's got some serious like plot holes, like some serious like just sort of flaws. And, and the story of how the movie, uh, how the story of the movie came about even lends yeah. to that. So like, I think yeah, it's a case of people tend to remember the things they like in a movie more than the things they didn't like. Cause I think once you press people and you start citing references to this, that, and the other, then people are like, ah, well, yeah, right. That really didn't make a lot of sense or that could have been different. Mm -hmm. So again, I challenge you to tune into the next episode, listen to our thoughts and share your thoughts on Disney's frozen. I'd say share your thoughts on the wicker man, but I don't 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 know. I don't know. Talk to us. I'm just going to respond. We're excited about that. All right, Tony, give us our credits. All right. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank my co-host, Matt Goad. Always there for me, buddy. You're welcome. This is a partnership in more ways than one. I'd like to also acknowledge myself as your other host, Tony. Thank you. Our executive producers are Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. Thanks, guys. Husband and wife, ones that uh, keep the lights on, keep the podcast rolling and recording. Uh, To be clear, they're not husband and wife. But they are no, husband our husband and wife. Yeah, <laughs> our collective husband who's who's? And wife. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my wife's in the other room and about to come in and remind me. But <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to thank the uh, the Aducci's, Nick Aducci and Jess Aducci, Jess for normally giving us uh, really great recaps so that we're not boring you, audience. But uh, this one we had to spare from, and Nick for providing us with killer artwork and uh, just being there to help advise us on things like that in general. In the case of this episode, we should thank Jess for trying. She did try. She she tried tried to watch this movie and give us a synopsis, and she was thwarted every step of the way. It's not available. You can't just go rent it or download it or whatever. If you, yeah, I gotta remember to cancel my my seven day uh, trial subscription to Cinemax. I'm I'm thinking I might keep mine. They've got a lot of good movies on there. I'm gonna go through it and see if I watch some of them. Well, maybe maybe you've convinced me. All right, uh, that's that's our credits for this week, Tony. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, this is always fun to do. I can't. I really, honestly, can't wait to do Frozen. And you know, for all of its faults, this movie was fun to pick and poke and try because, to fix. Because you were there at the end, it's been worth it. Oh, you're so sweet. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Movie Fixers. We will see you next week with Frozen. And don't forget to check out other things on TSD. We've got new episodes of Jake Bakes, a really exciting new episode of Cocktail Moment coming up soon. So check us out, uh, facebook.com slash onlyontsd. You can also find us on YouTube at onlyontsd. And you can find us at our website, 30something.digital. And there is no .com, 30something.digital. And that's all spelled out, all letters, no numbers, 30something.digital. See you next time. See you next week, everybody. Bye.